Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. I'm one of the uh, board members. This is Dave, Dave Scholl, also one of the board members. Uh, we were called to, to help out this morning, and we are, we are blessed to have the opportunity to do so. Normally, I, Dave and I do not preach, so if you're a visitor here today, you can, you can uh, understand that. And I am very thankful that Dave and I do not normally preach. It's not something that... <laughs> as are you, Isaac. As are you, yes. Um, so let's, I think as we go forward, let's do pray that Luke can come back next week. <laughs> yeah, check, check. But this is, this is a good time. For those of you that haven't been here, we're finishing up a series that started about five or six weeks ago on the problems of evil. And Luke provided what he said were seven and a half or eight answers on how to address that. And it's, it's just a small sampling. If we go through the Bible, there are probably literally dozens of answers for why we have to experience evil in this world. Um, but he did address eight here, and there were still some questions that remain, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So that leads into um, basically the whole problem, issue with uh, preparing for evil is, is how do we address that when it happens to us? How do we uh, know that God is still with us, and how do we persevere through that? How do we prepare for that? So I'm, I'm going to ask some questions here, uh, thinking about if you're a prepper. So think about think about these answers. So you might be a prepper if your buddy who's a police officer calls you every time he has a question about firearms. <laughs> you might be a prepper if you panic when you realize you left your home without your knife, but not so much your phone. You might be a prepper if you have food that's older, food that's older than your kid. <laughs> uh, you might be a prepper if you offer to cut dead branches from your neighbor's tree so that you can stockpile the firewood. Or you buy duct tape every time you go to the hardware store, even though you have two cases. Or you feel uncomfortable wearing clothes with only one or two pockets. Or you're jealous that homeless people are more off the grid than you are. Or your kids can't hide under the bed because of all the cans that you stored there. So all these things might tell you that you might be a prepper. So thinking about this, try, trying to be honest, on, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a prepper do you think that you are? And this, not so much from this side, but what we're going to talk about today is preparing for, for problems down the Word. So how to prepare uh, in the Word. Um, and I look around this room, I, I, I do think we might have some preppers in here. Yeah. So that's okay. That's right. So. And ultimately, the question we want to ask this morning and answer this morning is, how do we prepare ourselves for the inevitable tragedies and sufferings of life um, that have come for many of us and will come for us in the future? Life is coupled with tragedies and suffering. Um, but as Christians, there is a call to be prepared for that. And, um, and so moving from, you know, preparing for the zombie apocalypse to preparing for 
Maybe the zombie apocalypse emotionally or the zombie apocalypse in your health or various things like that that can hit each and every one of us in different ways. We talked about the problem of evil. Now, how do we prepare for when suffering, tragedy, evil shows up in our own lives and what we want to do about that? Um, obviously, Luke wasn't here, but I thought he gave us notes that we're working off of, and I thought you guys would appreciate He put this in there. Um, now, you know, it is Q&A Sunday, so we're going to go over some questions and answers around the problem of suffering. But it's obvious that Luke didn't prepare well for sickness disaster, and so that's why he isn't here today sharing with you. Um, on the flip side, I mean, they're out. Like, all his little ones are very sick, and he and his wife are trying to take care of them and be sick at the same time. So I told him, get rest. We'll take care of it this Sunday. So that's why we don't, uh, we don't see him this morning. So. so if you remember, over the last few weeks, we've talked about... Uh, eight different problems, and I, I didn't do this in the first service, but I think it's something we should do here, so uh, I'm going to mention it. So we have the P. What, what are some of the problems? Say, say it out loud. So P is for people. Very good. And I do not have candy like Luke did. I apologize for that. And R, what does the R, R stand for? Redemption. L. Later. God's going to do something about it later. He's going to come back. Uh, oh, others, there are, there are forces around us that, uh, that affect us. And what about the B? The body, we are here, we are, we are God's uh, body as a church to help solve these things. We, uh, as a body, have created hospitals, have created nursing homes, things along those lines. Uh, P-R-O-B-L, later we talked about, and I'm spelling it backwards, I'm sorry. Uh, e. Everything. What does that mean? Everything. Oh, okay. God, is, God can use anything that happens to us. He can use everything that happens to us, even though it appears to be evil. He can, use, he can cause something good to come out of it. And then M, mystery. There are going to be some things we don't understand as we go through here. And that's, that is a fact. We, we will not know that. And then finally, S. So problems happen to us because we do something that causes those problems. I drive too fast. I get a ticket. Guess whose problem that is? I reap what I sow. I reap the ticket that I sowed for driving too fast. So the first question we have today uh, comes in, and it's going to address the L for later. Uh, so when Luke presented that, he said, God is being patient but not waiting for any of us to be lost. Won't there always be the possibility of more people who could be saved, more people could be born who could trust God for salvation, or more people who, given more time, would convert. God is being patient, but at some point, the Bible says he will cut it off. At some point, he will say, enough is enough, and, we, and there will be judgment, thereby excluding any future believers that might come about. It seems like he could always wait for just one or two more what does that mean for his decided cutoff time? Well, I think in one, there's several ways biblically and philosophically to address that. The first one is that God's timing is mysteriously perfect, meaning God has a good timing, and we're not necessarily privy to that, most likely because our small brains cannot handle all the calculations and all the things that are potentially taken into account for that. Um, a couple verses to... Uh, address here. I'll just read them. I don't know if they're going to pop up. Um, Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, There's a lot of indication and evidence in history as well as in the scriptures that God's timing is his timing. Um, We don't know exactly why he chose to send Jesus at that time in the first century Palestine. There's some clues, but still, there's some questions, right? Um, The disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, now, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Jesus was like, I don't even know. That's That's up to God. You be faithful now. So Jesus even alluded to the fact that, like, hey, I don't think we're necessarily meant to know God's timing in in many and certain ways. So this applies to this question. You know, how do we know that God's waited too long or not long enough? Well, I'm going to trust, just like Job learned at the end of his book, that since he created everything and kind of has that that omniscience, uh, omniscient ability about him, that that he's he knows when the right time is the right balance of those who would come to be, to know him and those who would not, when is that right timing? When is the appropriate timing? Um, leaving that in his hands for him to address first and foremost. So there is mystery in that, um, but there's also faithful trust in saying, hey, your timing is probably going to be better than my timing, so I will trust you in that. Yes, and the Bible does tell us, I mean, we do know for sure that that he is slow to anger, but we also have many, many examples in the word where God did show his anger, where his anger came out, and he had an impact. Um, but up until those points, he was very, very faithful in providing opportunities. And I'm going to be reading uh, from Joel uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Oh, sorry. I don't know how he does that. Uh, 12 through 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So what we have here, Joel was making the case for, for those that had not repented. He was saying, repent. It is not too late. And it's not too late for any of us, any of us in this room or anybody, anyone that's, uh, that's online. It is never too late to repent and say, God, forgive me. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. But at some point, uh, we'll, have, we'll go forward. But God can, does not delay forever. He did not delay forever with Israel. He did not... Let them continue to sin against him. Eventually, he said, Babylon, come in. Take out Judah. We're going, to, we're going to teach these people a lesson that they can learn going forward. And he was not going to delay it forever. If he delayed it forever, that's, that's a, a very good example of God's mercy. And God is a merciful God. But we also know in the word that he is a just God. At some point, he does have to exact justice for the uh, sin that we're doing. He, he will not delay forever. Uh, and one of the points that, that Luke makes here, which I think is very important, if he continued to, to lay it off at some point, rather than coming back and say, well, we're going to wait for one more, or we're going to wait for one more, we're going to wait for one more, that means Jesus will never come back, and the word promises that he will come back. And when he comes back, that is when we can experience the joys of heaven. If he does not come back, that's not going to happen. And so he makes the point there that we do need to, uh, that if we are... 
And, and we're dealing with a, uh, a fly up here, which actually leads into our next question. But we're gonna, <laughs> so, um, so we would not be able to trust in the reality of the salvation that, uh, that is promised in the word. The final response that Luke kind of put together for this, and I think this is pretty good, is to kind of get a sense of some evidence in Scripture that gives us an idea of how God is working out his timing. We see how he's used this approach in, in individuals' lives, in nations' lives throughout history, and most likely will use it in his timing to decide when is, when is, it, when is it time to draw that line? When is enough enough? Um, so read with me, Revelation 16, 8 through 11. The fourth, this, of course, this is Revelation, impending judgment is coming, and this is actually a discussion of God pouring out his judgment upon areas of the world or various things and, the, and people's response to that. The fourth, bowl, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch the people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they, so they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth, bowl, pour, the fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Am I in the right spot? Yeah, okay. Um, people nod their tongues because of their pain, and they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. Um, it's a truism that in each of our lives, every day we're faced with choices. When we, choice, when we choose good, we become more good. Your actions have consequences, and your, your choices about which action you'll take build who you'll be tomorrow. So we basically become, over a course of our life, um, in many cases, the, the collection or the summary of all of our actions as we go forward, both for good or for evil. This is also true not just for individuals, but for nations. You see in the Old Testament that there are nations that you can see when God brings judgment, they were almost unable to choose the smart or even rational way of repentance. They were unable to do that because their hearts had been so hardened. Um, and I believe, and I think this is some of the evidence, that maybe even worldwide, humanity as a whole will reach a certain point in its history where it, it has rejected God's, God's uh, um, offers of grace and offers of forgiveness enough that as a collective whole, people will generally have hardened themselves against God. And, there's, and we've passed that tipping point where it doesn't make sense to wait any longer. Now, I, I don't know when that's going to be, and nobody knows. That goes back to that first mystery of the timing. But the evidences of that would be a scenario why God has not yet done so. Or maybe why he's done so in a limited fashion for various empires and various areas of the world. But he has yet to do that for the entire, uh, the entire world and all of humanity as of yet. Um, but it leaves us, it always leaves me with the with the important point that says, am I choosing every day to become a person sensitive and willing to obey Christ? Or do my choices lead me in the opposite direction that are slowly hardening me against Christ over time? All right, question number two. Um, in this series, the focus has been on moral evil, but what about natural evil? Now, natural evil is not a toddler, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> Natural evil would be things like tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, tsunamis, earthquakes, what Luke and Janelle and their family are going through right now, a nasty stomach bug, right? I mean, all those things are 
natural evils. They're, they don't seem to be caused by anybody doing something wrong, and yet here they are, and people are suffering because of them. Um, so the question is, what do we do with natural evil? And that's where the, where the fly comes in. Is the fly itself a, 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 <laughs> right? a natural evil thing? We don't know. Well, there's actually some benefit. Flies, flies help us to break down things that are, uh, that are dead and decaying. So there, there's a, a, a good side to that. And that's something we recognize with natural evil. And I, I use this as an example. Uh, if I'm thirsty, water is a very good thing. It helps lubricate my throat. It keeps me, keeps me alive. We've got to drink it. If I'm in the middle of the lake and I don't know how to swim... I'm going to die because of the water. So the, the water itself is not necessarily evil, and that applies to so many things around us. Wind is not necessarily evil. It may turn our windmills to allow us to get power out of it, but it also may push over our, our shed or, or blow the ball that I have in the backyard into a neighbor's yard. Uh, so the things around us that are natural may or may not be evil. The things that happen as a result of that uh, may have an impact on that. So whether it's good or not, however, um, it, it's hard to say that, uh, that they are truly uh, an evil thing, even though something bad may happen as a result of this. And this fly truly is a good, I appreciate God for giving us a, an object lesson up here that we can learn from today. Okay, um, read with me Romans 8, 18, 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children." For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. These verses are Paul's way of summarizing that the world we're surrounded with, and I mean all the way to the physical elements of the world, is subject or is not as it was intended to be. As beautiful and as amazing as the world is that we live in, uh, there, is, there are elements of it that lend itself to, to a discomfort on our side, a, an acknowledgement that there's something wrong, not just with us, but in the world around us, with the physical world around us. Um, so, if you've read The Hobbit, I'm going to read you a, a The Hobbit is a book, uh, I'm assuming most people have read it, but a little Hobbit guy is on a journey, and he ends up doing a riddle battle, I guess which is a Tolkien version of a rap battle, um, with a creature named Gollum. So, this is a riddle that Gollum, that Gollum puts forth to Bilbo to see if he can solve it. You guys ready? This thing, all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, and flowers gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. In the book, and if you haven't read it, not to, just, not to show you, 
Bilbo's struggling to try to figure out the answer, and he's, he's, uh, and he's struggling and struggling, and, and Gollum says, well, okay, because I guess Gollum gets to eat him if he wins. Um, so Bilbo's freaking out, and Gollum says, come on, come on, come on. And finally, Bilbo answers with a plea to say, give me more time. But what comes out of his mouth is the word time, which is actually the answer. Time, it, time does all these things. It gnaws up iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins town, and beats the high mountain down. Tolkien, through Gollum, was expressing what we now refer to as the second law of thermodynamics, that entropy is always increasing in the universe, and things are slowly moving towards chaos, not necessarily getting in better or improving. Um, but did God create this, the world this way? There are many ways of looking at this and many ways of discussing this. But I think Paul is pointing out to us that as beautiful as the world we have, God has, it is obvious that it is not the way God intended. And so many of the physical, natural evils that we encounter could be the effects and probably are the effects of sin that we as humanity have introduced in the world and now that creation, the physical world around us, is actually subject to. Um, we can take some guesses at what the original creation was like. We probably will be wrong and probably will be right. But ultimately, one of the answers to this question is that um, sin has infected not only our own hearts, but the physical world around us. Well, and the third part of this answer is also to recognize that spiritual beings have an impact on the natural world around us. Uh, Psalm 8.5 says that God made us just a little lower than the heavenly beings, so we're a little less powerful than the angels around us. And that means that we have a little less power than Satan, the fallen angel, and he has more power than us. Now, saying that, I do want to emphasize we do not have to fear Satan. We do not have to fear the, the demons because we have Jesus on our, on our side, and he is much more powerful than any of these spiritual beings. But it, we've got to recognize, I mean, looking at the book of Job, God gave the accuser or gave Satan the ability and the power to, to harm Job. He took his kids. He took his, his entire wealth. He took his health. He took just about everything away. God gave him the power to do everything against Job. He said, but you may not kill him. So he set limits upon what Job could do. And then if we read Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, it says, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. This suggests that he does have domain over our earth. He does have domain over the winds and over, over the weather that affects us. So it, it, we do have to deal with this. A particular issue that that Satan and, and the other the others as as Luke talked about address that. But remember, if you follow Jesus, you're a member of the body of Christ, and we do not have to be concerned with that. Um, so we have to recognize also that these these fallen these fallen angels they chose to do that. Those that are still with the, with God in heaven chose to do that, just as we have the choice to do good and evil. Those are some of the whys around natural evil. But the real big question for us as the body of Christ is not trying to explain why a hurricane happened. I think Christians actually get in a lot of trouble when they do that. Um, they end up blaming the wrong people because they have no idea. Um, pointing fingers like Job friends did. The question for us as the body of Christ is, what will I do now when a natural evil presents itself? When a hurricane demolishes a town, when a neighbor encounters suffering 
on their property because something happened, whatever. What are we to do as Christians? Well, the answer is not try to answer why, but to rush into help. Our job as the body of Christ is to take the suffering in this world and lessen it with whatever, whatever self-sacrificial ways that we can commit ourselves to doing so. So in this sense, it's great to kind of talk through some of the whys of the natural evils, but I think our, we should be more consumed, we should be less consumed with the whys and more consumed with what are we to do. And that's why Christians throughout history, the Black Plague hit Europe. People fled the cities for obvious reasons, except for one group. The Christians fled into the cities, not fled. They went into the cities and they took care of the poor, many of them dying because of it, they caught it as well. But that's because we don't fear the death, because we don't fear the, the, the suffering, um, because we know who our Savior is, that presses us then to move in and be a force to help the world, to, to lessen the suffering of some of these natural disasters. Um, so. so that's, it, it's important that we do prep, and going back to the introduction, we do need to prepare going forward, not only for ourselves, but for, for those around us. Uh, if we remember when Jesus was facing his 40 days of temptation in the desert, he relied upon the preparation, the word. We need to be prepared with that as well so that we can, we can address that. Uh, so when, when tragedy strikes, when something happens, if it happens to us, we need to fall back, just as Peter did when he was sinking into the, into the water. He called out to God and said, please help. That's all he needed to do. He reached out and he asked for help. And that's what we need to do when they're, when they're in the midst of that. And there, there are things that we need to, to look for as well. We need to rely on our faith. We need to rely on our family. Our family can help us do it. Hopefully that they, they are believers. And if they're not believers, we've got our friends. We've got our fellowship here in the church. So those, those are things to recognize, having those things together. And I will tell you... Um, I've seen this so many times in the connection group that we deal, that we deal with where somebody is struggling, where uh, a, mo a mother is preparing for a baby. We have one situation. She had just moved into town. They had no friends. Well, we became their friends. We helped them through that situation. Uh, a story of, of a woman in our group who was suffering from cancer and how she ministered to those that were going through it. Uh, her faith strengthened those around it. Um, so not only was her faith strengthening her through the, the situation, God was using that, just as we said with everything, God was using that case to help others. Um, so those are the things that we want to be prepared for, that we are, we are prepared for, for those events to help ourselves. If our neighbors are affected by the tornado, by the winds, by the flooding, we reach out as a body, just as Dave suggested, going into these disaster areas to help out. But ultimately, the question is, what are you going to do when tragedy strikes you? Um, it's coming. If you think, if it hasn't hit you yet, or maybe it has, maybe you've encountered some tragedy, but tragedy is always coming. And I'm not, <laughs> not trying to be morose up here and make you depressed or anything, but um, Jesus even said to his disciples in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Isn't that nice? Then he goes on. In this world, you will, he didn't say maybe, he said, hey, if you don't sin, you won't. He said, you will, guaranteed, have trouble, okay? So if you think, now I'm following Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory, nothing will be hard, there'll be no tragedy, no suffering, you're wrong. In fact, you're actually disagreeing with Jesus, and not that, not that that's a bad thing, but in the sense of, like, Jesus is promising that as we follow him, we will have trouble, 
but then I got to finish his sentence, or I got to finish his statement here because that's the best. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So we have our hope in him, but we do face the tragedy and the suffering. How many of you know somebody who faced tragedy and suffering and that came out of it with a faith stronger than they had before? Okay. How many of you know somebody who encountered tragic suffering, some sort of terrible thing, some evil, and left the faith because of it? I think we know people in both categories, right? So stop for a second and ask yourself, which category, how can I prepare to be in the first category and not the second category? What, what steps can I take? What are ways that I can begin to train now to prepare myself for that future? One of the first things, and Rob already alluded to it, as we behave and act in this world as a community of faith, is that you're surrounded by a community of faith right now. And many people who survive tragedies, both practically and in their faith, do so because they are committed and have been committed to a community of faith with, with a quality and a depth of relationship that that, faith off, that community offers. So take a moment, look around you, Realize that the people sitting in this room are not just in the aisle across from you or in the seat behind you listening to a sermon. These are the people that will throw you the life ring and help you hold on to your faith when you can no longer believe. So think about that and think about ways and practices. We talked about, I think Deanna announced the connection groups. Plug in now, build relationships now. Sitting on Sunday morning in the service and chatting with people a little bit after is not enough. When tragedy strikes, you need to have people with the anchors and the life rings that, will, that they can throw you to help you through that time. And I just want to finish up this thought because it is a very important thought uh, from Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So it's very important that we, uh, we do cultivate these relationships with our, with our friends, with our neighbors here in the church. And I, I've been blessed. Those of you that have been in here um, have seen how people struggling, how meals come out, how, uh, how these things are, are there to help. And it's, it's uh, one of the things that we struggle with as Americans is we try to be self-reliant. We say, I can do this on my own. That's not what God wants us to do. The verses I, said, I just read, what Dave has told us about, is telling us to rely on others. In doing that, in, in relying with others on that, I can provide an anchor. And one of the things that was a blessing here when, when Dave asked the question, who has seen people that have come, who have grown stronger, there were more hands raised than there were when he asked how many people have seen people fall away. So I think there's, there is a very positive thing to deal with that. I think it's important to recognize how Jesus um, responded in the midst of suffering. When his friend Lazarus died and Mary and Martha said, come to, come to us, uh, Jesus, they knew that Jesus could raise him up. And he intentionally uh, waited four days so that he could prove that he actually has the ability to resurrect but what does it say when he found out? He wept. It was the shortest verse of the Bible. But it indicated that Jesus felt for what was going on. He was concerned. 
for his friends. And I think that's something that we need to do as, as believers as well. We need to be concerned for each other when we struggle. We need to help us through the, through the difficulties. Uh, we need to be willing to step up, not only as believers who are, who are healthy at that time, but we need to also be able to step up when we are weak and when we need help. Do not rely on ourselves. As we cultivate healthy relationships, um, the other, another step or another thing that Jesus leaves us a clue to, or actually not just a clue, he overtly shows us while he's on the cross, is one of the things that he has to say. In Matthew 27, one of the things Jesus says while he's hanging on a cross, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's not Jesus just having a feeling and saying stuff. Jesus is actually quoting the first line of a psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which echoes David's words from, from years past who also felt abandoned and rejected by God in those moments. And so Jesus is not trying to generate his own words in those moments. This is Jesus, the Lord of the universe, using a psalm to deal with immense suffering and using that psalm to connect him into um, into lamenting and expressing himself to God. So the second way to prepare ourselves for tragedy is to begin to warm ourselves up and to exercise what I would call our psalm muscle. The psalms are in the Old Testament for a reason. The Jewish people prayed them. They still do to this day at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or in, in, their, own, in their own ways in different times as well. But when the church started after Pentecost, one of the first things they would do and I think Luke's alluded to this in Acts, is they would go and they would do, they committed themselves, and it says, to the prayers. What are they referring to? They're referring to the Psalms. These weren't just, you know, Lord, help my day be good. And did, they were praying the Psalms together as a church. And that, has, that practice has actually continued um, throughout history. There's a monastery in Syria that has been continually around the clock praying the Psalms for something like 1,700 years now. It's an Eastern Orthodox monastery, so it's not like, you know, it's open for everybody to just wander through, but they've literally been praying the Psalms around the clock throughout history. Um, why the Psalms? What about the Psalms? You read through the Psalms, there's all sorts of stuff in there. The Psalms, like, like some other books, but more so than any other book, are like, are, are the, the Jewish people's raw representation of their feelings before God, regardless of, of knowing how it will end. Does that make sense? So if you've read through the Psalms, in fact, there's times when I'm listening to a Psalm and I chuckle because they are not mincing words with God. It's not like, hey, Lord, uh, everything's kind of suffering right now, but, you know, I'm sure it's fine. They weren't, they weren't hiding their feelings at all. It's like, hey, I'm hurting, I'm suffering. You made some promises, but I don't see you. Are you even there? They're saying things like that. Those aren't, blas bl those aren't blasphemies. Those are actually us expressing our feelings, as we should, to God, who wants us to reach out and tell, a, tell him exactly how we feel, because he's not afraid of that. God doesn't want us to pretend to be something. He wants us to be who we are, where we are, with all of our emotions, with all of our misunderstandings, with all of our pain and hurt, and to present those before God. So the question is, you might say, well, I, I don't feel that right now. I'm not suffering. I'm not going through immense pain and tragedy. So if I'm like saying, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't ring with me yet. But that's why you do it ahead of time. So in that moment, when all you can feel 
is the pain, the tragedy, the suffering, the immense amount of heaviness upon you, and you're hanging on your own cross, the words that will come to your mind are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you'll begin to pray the Psalms out. Just to kind of wrap that up, anybody in here run a marathon? Okay, walked? I mean, still, 26.2 kilometers, right? Or anybody, you know, trained for some sort of... uh, one of those, uh, what are those, those, those races? Yeah, all sorts of, any sort of thing. You're, you don't drop in, right? You're not like, hey, tomorrow I'm going to do that, and I've not done any training. You're going to spend quite a bit of time training for that. Um, and yet with our faith, we hope that if the tragedy hits us tomorrow, we'll just somehow be okay. So, no. <laughs> Start thinking that the marathon is coming, the marathon of whatever the tragedy will be, and prepare yourself using the Psalms by praying them, by, by meditating on them, by getting them in your heart to prepare for those moments when all you can think to do is to call out to God through the words of the psalmist. Um, so to close up, as we finish here, um, it'll be on the screen, I believe, as well as um, Rob's going to read Psalm 90. And we're just going to take a moment, and you can read it. Some people, getting it in their eyes, it helps you absorb it. If you want to close your eyes and just hear it, what we're going to do is we're going to practice what, what would be some kind of meditation on that psalm as we read it, letting it sink into our heart and our mind, allowing God to, to help us remember that for the times now or the times in our past when we've suffered or the times in our future when we will suffer or when there's tragedy in our lives, that this is the anchor along with the community of body Christ that we can hold on to. And, and so... And I do want, we, we talk today to uh, primarily believers, I know that, but if there's anybody in the room, anybody that's online that is not a believer, as we go through this psalm, uh, think, think about the words, but think about the call that we've, we have discussed today. If you have not accepted Christ, do it now. Reach out. If you're online, you can call the church and somebody will reach out uh, to you. If you're in the room, reach out to Dave, reach out to me, reach out to many, many strong believers in this room that are willing to, to help you through and help you understand that. But do it today. So I'm going to begin reading uh, Psalm 90 and, and do as, as you, uh, as Dave said, either meditate or read as you go. So Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Amen.